Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. And we're going to read from verse eighteen to the end of the chapter. First Peter chapter two, verse eighteen. Let's hear the word of God. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body in the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his infallible and inerrant word. Now my text this morning is taken again from 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 21. It reads as follows. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Now, my subject today is hearing and heeding the call to suffer for Christ. You see, in 1 Peter, there's a fourfold call of God connected to the Lord's people. It formed part of the bulletin for the month of October, if you read it. We are called to holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 <coughs> But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And you've got to think of the person in this calling. He is a reference to the Lord. The Lord is holy, and the Lord calls us to be holy. Then we're also called out of darkness into his marvelous light. First uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 10 that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Here's the power in our calling. He has lifted us, called us out of a state of darkness, spiritually speaking, and brought us into the marvellous light of his glorious person and kingdom. Thirdly, we are called to suffer. 
Look at verse 21 of chapter 2. For even here unto where ye called. And it's in the context of suffering. And the apostle Peter knows here that sufferings are real. He knows that it's not easy to suffer. He knows that suffering is hard to cope with. That it's most problematic and most difficult. And in the overall context, he is dealing here with suffering saints. And what he does is he points these suffering saints to a suffering saviour. Peter knows that if you have your vision full of Christ, then you can face anything that this world and the devil and the forces of hell can throw against you. However, if you get your eyes off Christ, then you can face nothing because you'll be full of fear and dread and worry. Isn't it interesting that in 1 Peter there are seven references to the fact that Christ suffered? Seven references to the suffering of Christ. That's a sermon all in itself. Seven's the number of perfection. It's as if he's saying, I want you as suffering saints to get a perfect view of the suffering saviour. Here's the perfect answer for suffering saints. And the answer is Christ. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the theme, Christ suffered for us. We talked about the context suffering saints we talked about the characteristics of his suffering he suffered voluntarily for us he suffered vicariously in that he is a sympathetic high priest in that he's a a substitute for us in that he rendered a perfect satisfactory sacrifice to 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 uh, appease uh, and expiate the wrath of god we thought about how he suffered victoriously because it says christ also suffered Meaning it's in the past tense. His sufferings are now over. And we closed with the conquest of Christ's suffering. And I pointed out to you on that occasion that Christ has left us an example to follow in his steps. Here's what we would call the pathway of suffering. And we are called to this pathway. And we're to follow in Christ's footsteps. And that's what we want to think about today. Hearing and heeding this call to suffer for Christ. I I want you to think first of all of the intention of Christ. For even here unto were you called. This word call could be translated vocation. Because here you've got the vocation Or the calling of the Christian. The Christian is called to suffer for and with Christ. So I want you to understand that today. Literally God has called you to suffer for and with Christ. That's the intention of Christ for his church. For for every Christian. You see in the context here the apostle is saying to the suffering saints... God has called you into this station of life. Remember he's writing to working class people. Mainly domestic house slaves. That's the context. Verse 18. Servants or slaves. Be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle. But also to the froward. I want you to think of 
people living out the Christian life in the workplace. The factory, the shop, the office, the farm, the home. The same principle has to apply. Employer and employee relationship. Let me just pause there. Do you know that Christianity, I believe, is is for working class people? In the first century, there's very few from the higher or the upper class. There was a few. There were some. But not many noble. Not many mighty were called. The gospel triumphed in the first century among the masses of the working class people. Now, sadly, today, the working class, by and large, has no interest in religion or, or interest in God. You, you go up the Shankill Road. You, you, you go to Sandy Road. You go down into our estate here in Killingure. And the vast majority of working class people, for some reason, stay clear of the church. They make the allegation. Oh, the church is full of middle class professionals, teachers and doctors and accountants and whatever. And, of course, I reject this. Because that's not the kind of church that we actually want. We want a church full of a variety of saints, working class people. And if people classify themselves as middle class or upper class, so be it. But let's not just think that the church is for the middle classes. Here's the first century and it was by and large working class people. And he's telling the saints that Christians, employees, can, may, and will suffer wrongfully at the hands of your employers. Non-Christian employers, he's saying, will make your life hard and difficult for you as a Christian. Because they're against Christ and the gospel. You will suffer different kinds of abuse. And even when you do well and do good, you'll suffer for it. And he says in verse 19, this is acceptable with God. Now these Christian employees couldn't opt out of their job. They couldn't say, well, I'm not going back to work tomorrow, for if they didn't work, they they wouldn't eat. They, They had to go to work. And they had to endure all kinds of horrible abuse. Do you know there was even saints in Caesar's household? Could you imagine that? The Lord's people working as believers, serving as domestic slaves under Emperor Nero. Surely it would be a challenge to go into that environment every day and seek to be faithful and true to Jesus Christ. It would be difficult to go into that environment and suffer forms of abuse and persecution. Maybe you're here this morning and you in your context, you're persecuted in your home by family members because of your love for Christ and loyalty to him. Maybe you're persecuted in school because you're the only Christian in the class. Maybe you're persecuted by your neighbours and they don't like you and don't speak to you and will be spit in your face simply because of your love and loyalty to Christ. You could even be persecuted in the local church. Do you know that? There could be a jealous, carnal Christian who's envious critical and judgmental and hard and tries to make it hard for another Christian in the church. And what Peter's saying to them is this, you're called to suffer. 
You're called to put up with this. Because God has put you in this place. And God has called you as a Christian to experience all this. It says in Acts chapter uh, 14 and in the verse um, uh, 22. Making a reference to much tribulation. He says in Acts 14 verse uh, 22. And that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And also in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1 and in the verse 29, we read the words, Philippians 1, 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. We're called to believe in Christ. We're called to suffer for and with Christ. And over there in the book of Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And in the verse 3. He says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know. That we were appointed unto. But Paul's saying, don't be upset by our treatment. Don't be upset by our afflictions. You yourself know that we were appointed. In other words, we're called. This is the intention of Christ for his church. You see, over and over again, the Bible emphasizes this. The intention of Christ, we're called to suffer. And we shouldn't be surprised. So, Let's not get upset. Let's not get mad. Let's not retaliate and seek revenge. When we're faced with a situation and you take it in board, people don't actually like me because I'm a Christian. People are talking about me behind my back and doing all sorts of stuff against me. People are working behind the scenes to bring about my downfall. People have got it in for me. I want you to think... It's not just you as an individual. It's not just me. Think of this. It's who you represent. It's my glorious saviour that I love and live for. It's the glorious gospel of Christ that I believe in. See, this is the way the Lord works, folks. And the result of this suffering the home, the office, the workplace, wherever. It's to drive us to the Lord. It's to bring us to our knees. It's to go to him for grace and help. Isn't this what um, Hebrews 4 and 15 and 16 says? For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's remember, we've got a great high priest in heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. And let's remember that he is sympathetic to us. He feels for us. He cannot but be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. That's the meaning. He is touched to the very core of his being. And we can look to him and pray and ask for grace. Let me illustrate this. 
There's a man who spent 10 years at work. He had a supervisor. And that supervisor made life intolerable for this man. He did all he could to make his life hard and miserable at work. Now what did he do? You know what he did? Let me, let me tell you. You listening? He prayed to the Lord for grace. In other words, he went home, he got down his knees, and he says, Lord, my supervisor hates me. Lord, he's doing this and saying this about me and to me. But Lord, I'm asking for grace. Help me not to hate the man. Help me not to retaliate. Uh, Lord, help me to ask for forgiveness when he does bad things to me. Lord, give me grace to forbear. Lord, I pray for his salvation. The man retired after 10 years. The man sadly after his retirement a very short time took ill. And this Christian man whom he had made life hard and intolerable for he went to his home. He stood at his bedside. He read the scriptures. He told him about Christ the mighty deceived. He, he witnessed to him. And as far as we know, there was an acceptance of the Christian on the man's deathbed. Love was conquering because love covers a multitude of sins. I'm not saying that that supervisor got saved. I have no knowledge of the rest of the story. But I know he eventually died. But that individual man who suffered that abuse, life intolerable as a Christian for 10 years, he proved the grace of God. And he grew as a Christian. And he became more like Christ. And what we're saying is this. This is the normal standard for the people of God. There should be nothing unusual that we're called to suffer. This is the intention of Christ. We're going to have a bumpy ride in the Christian life. And there's going to be, because we're called to discipleship, because we're called to bear the cross, we're going to be hated and despised outside the camp just like Christ. They that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, the Bible tells us. Now that's the first thing. The second thing is this, the imitation of Christ. Look at our text, for even here unto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. See, what do we do because we're Christians? We imitate Christ. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. You see, Christ suffered, and in his suffering he did no sin. Christ suffered, and in his suffering no guile was found in his mouth. When Christ suffered, and in his suffering he could not be provoked. And when he suffered, he committed himself to God, who judges righteously. Where do we ask this? In the Old Testament scriptures, who is the greatest example of suffering? Now, straight away, you should think of Job. James talks about the patience of Job. Job, of course, was a righteous man that hated evil. He was at the very zenith of his spirituality. The zenith of godliness. He was a man whom God blessed. A man whom God knew. A man whom God said to Satan. 
Hath thou considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in all of the earth? Now that man suffered. He, he suffered the loss of, of, of his farm one day. All his animals, his camel, his cows and his sheep, they all were, 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 were plundered. He suffered the loss of his family. He, he suffered the loss of his physical frame. Remember, he, he, he ended up with boils. And he, he, he lost the respect of his friends. And for a time, Joe suffered. And he suffered and he took it patiently. And for a time, he was at least in his suffering without sin. He didn't use it as an occasion to sin against the Lord. But you know, there was a time when the suffering was prolonged, when Job got angry. And he flew into the face of God. And he was upset and mad. And he, he, we could really talk about the, 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 the night clouds that came upon his soul. He couldn't understand why God would allow this to happen. And, and he dared charge God with foolishness. You read the chapters in Job. And it's all there, especially in the, 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 the later chapters. Uh, from, from about 25, 26 on. And Job had a number of friends, four friends. And we really call them a bunch of big mouth friends. You know, they were supposed to be comforters. But they were really conspirators. Because they said, Job, there's a reason for this suffering. You have sinned against God and God is punishing you. And they didn't know how the man felt. He was racking his brain. He knew that he hadn't sinned against God and brought this punishment upon himself. And Job falls out with them and he rebukes them. Now here's the best man. As an example of suffering. The best servant of God. And yet this man sins against God and he loses the bat with God. And gets angry. See I want to tell you this morning. Now listen to me carefully. Suffering brings out the worst in us. Suffering has a unique way of bringing out the worst. When your body's full of aches and pains, and you can't sleep, and your mind's in turmoil, or maybe in a situation, your money savings is gone your home life is wrecked you're the talk of the neighbourhood and you're tormented and wrecked with guilt when you're facing your worst suffering brings it out and yet here's the Lord Jesus and when he suffered he did no sin he knew no sin. In him was no sin. He didn't sin in thought. He didn't sin in deed. And he didn't sin in word. He was sinless in his suffering. And that sinless suffering is set before us so that we can strive to imitate Christ. Pattern your life in him. Get the Lord before you. I'm not saying you imitate and follow Christ in order to be saved. We, we, we don't believe that. In order to be saved, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. 
But once you're saved, then we should set our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ. If we could ask this question, living for Christ, Christian living, living the Christian life, what is it all about? Surely it's about Christ-likeness. Maybe we could ask a different question. How do we evaluate spiritual success? Big crowds, large congregation, two, three, four hundred people, plenty of money in the bank, quite a number of decisions, activity in the church, a lot of noise. I want to tell you, that's not how to evaluate spiritual success. Now, I'm not denying that the Lord can give you these things. But we evaluate spiritual success in terms of our likeness to Jesus Christ. And I can tell you now that we can have preachers, you could have me in the pulpit with the gift of a gab, deal with deep theological subjects, pray like an angel, and yet have very little likeness to Jesus Christ. You could have another wee woman who never would stand in a pulpit, knows very little about theology, just just a, a, a housewife, just, just a mother, and she's working away in her kitchen. And she's behind the scenes. And she's got more likeness to Jesus Christ than a bunch of us preachers put together. See, that's the way it is. The Christian life, folks, from the moment you trust Christ, is all about Christ-likeness. We take the name Christian. Followers of Christ. Well, if we're going to be followers of Christ, then we've got to be like him. Do you know I believe in the judgment day that the likes of Susanna Wesley and the like of Amy Carmichael and um, Corrie Ten Boom and individuals like that, they'll be head and shoulders above the preachers. You know, I think of eminent preachers, John Knox, John Calvin, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George Whitfield and all the rest. But I want to tell you, it'll be those behind the scenes who had a deep likeness to Christ. Stand out first. Where do we summarize this very, very quickly? You have to suffer. That, that's what Peter's saying as a Christian. And Christ is our example. Job 14 and 1, man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. As you go through life, you're going to face suffering in some shape, form or fashion. That's a fact. You have to suffer. And your suffering and mine will expose our weakness. And it will bring out the worst in us. Our unbelief, our fears and our doubts and whatever. Our sins. Thirdly, we're to get our eyes in Christ. Because he's our example. And as we get our eyes in Christ, let's commit ourselves to God. Who judges righteously. See, let's remember that we're not living for the immediate and the present. Got to look beyond our crisis. Got to be, look beyond the present circumstance. We know it's not easy. See, when you're coping with a crisis, of illness and sickness or suffering or whatever form it comes, all we can see is that. The darkness, the blackness. We want to explode. We want to crack up. But let's look beyond that and see that there's a God in heaven. That God's a righteous judge. That he's a loving father who would not cause us a needless tear. And that this is but a means to the end. God is refining us. 
and God wants us to reflect the image of Christ and God even in this period is seeking and striving to make me more like Christ let's get our eyes on the eternal let's get our eyes on his eternal purpose remember what we said about the fourfold calling here's the fifth one 1 Peter 5 and 10 but the God of all grace who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that you have suffered a while make you perfect establish, strengthen and settle you there's the imitation of Christ now now one final thing and our time's just about gone here the identification with Christ notice the words that ye should follow his steps I, I, I think of a wee boy and his father was out for a walk in the snow and uh, he was about size 10 and he was taking quite big strides and uh, the wee fella came out the door running after him, daddy, daddy, daddy. And what did the wee fella do? He put his wee small footprint into the footprint of his father. And he says, look daddy, I'm following in your steps. Now, now get that picture in your mind because that's what we are to do with Christ see the Bible tells us here in 1 John chapter 2 and in the verse um, 6 an interesting statement 1 John 2 and verse 6 it says he that saith he abideth in him that's if we're saved and we're in fellowship with Christ ought himself also so to walk even as he walked ought himself also so to walk even as he walked and how did he walk let me just put it to you as we finish he was blameless he did no sin see Peter lived and walked and talked with Christ for three years from the time of his conversion and he noticed Christ he watched him he didn't sin there was no outward action of sin there was no inward thought to sin there was no sin in his speech. We're to strive to be blameless. Somebody has said we should view each other. We should view our boss, our partners, as if Jesus Christ is standing behind them. And when we see him, then our lives and our attitude and our mindset to work and all the rest will be changed and transformed. Even those people that we don't like see Jesus behind them. It, it can be life transforming. Not only blameless, but patiently. We're to be long suffering in the face of bitter, harsh words, bitter, harsh treatment, assault, insult. No insult should be heard back. No harsh words, no harsh treatment. Remember, Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels. He could have opened up the ground for his um, crucifiers on the spot. He could have called for an earthquake. He could have just nodded. In fact, he could have just and zapped them into space. Naturally, you're inclined when you suffer to hit back. But the word retaliate wasn't in Christ's dictionary. He suffered patiently. And in fact, Peter mentions in verse 20 the word patiently. He also suffered believingly. Because he committed himself to him that judges righteously. He left it with God. We were singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry. 
everything to God in prayer. And if we would bring things to God in prayer, Lord, did you hear what that woman said about me? Lord, did you hear what that man done? Lord, I'm, I'm cross about it. Lord, I'm mad. I'd love to go and thump him, Lord. But Lord, I know that's not your way. Forgive me for thinking like that. Lord, cleanse me in the blood. Lord, I'm going to commit this to you. And I want you to, to bless that man. Or bless that woman. Bring them to repentance. And I want you to give me grace to love them just like Jesus loves them. See, that's the pattern of Christ. That's identification with him. Let's strive to be blameless. Let's strive to be patient. Let's strive to be believing that we can put it into God's hands and leave it there. This is the calling of the Christian. At least in part, we're called to suffer. Let's hear this call. Let's heed this call to suffer for and with Christ. May the Lord bless these few words to our hearts together.